The following audio is from Living Acts Church in Tyler, Texas. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church. So, with that said, will you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God with me, please? And we are going to read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile the narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught." This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to do three things. I want to, want to introduce you to our study in the Gospel of Luke. And, and I, I have three, three goals that I want to accomplish this morning. So I'm just going to tell you up front. The first thing is I want to introduce to you as to why uh, I entitled this series, Luke, the Story of Reality. So I want to address that. And then secondly, I want to give you a little brief overview of the book, um, some background, some major themes, some key themes of the book so that we're ready to, to explore the book in the next few weeks and months. And then thirdly, I want us to see why from the text this morning that we can be certain of this gospel. And then I want us to briefly look at some reasons why that's important to us. So let me begin with the first part, just kind of an introduction and background to this book. But I've entitled the series uh, Luke the story of reality for a good reason. And the reason is this, the gospel of Luke speaks to us about what is real. In other words, it speaks to the way that things truly are, the things that we encounter every day. So we live in a world of uncertainty. I don't know if you figured that out, but truth is something that's not absolute and unchanging. Truth is, is what you make it. It's depending upon uh, on what social construct that you grew up in. So if you grew up perhaps over in India or if you grew up in the United States or in Canada or wherever, then your truth is going to be dependent upon, well, the social construct that you grew up in. In other words, can, can we all be certain about morality? Do we have the same morality? Do we, uh, can we, are we certain about eternity? Can we, can we be certain even that Christianity is from God? Is, is Christianity what I believe it to be? Or can we be certain that Christ is truly the answer to my life's questions? So all those things are true, of, and we're, many people are very uncertain about a lot of those things. But we live in a world of what we call moral relativism. And the idea that nature is all that there is, that, that there's no transcendent or absolute truth. And so we're basically left to construct our own morality. So every idea, every moral question every preference is kind of uh, reduced to our personal choice. In other words, uh, if it feels good, we do it. If you have an itch of some sort, you know, we, we scratch it. We do that. But the gospel of Luke and Christianity speak to a God who has spoken, who has revealed an absolute and unchanging standard of right and wrong based ultimately upon his holy character. But we also live in a, in a society that's, that's multicultural. We, we call it multiculturalism. And because of relativism, the naturalist, 
the one who denies the existence of God and only believes that matter is eternal, he treats all cultures as morally equivalent, each merely reflecting its own history and experience. So let me explain this a little bit so you understand this and how Luke relates to all this. One time I was uh, at, at a gathering of teachers, and there was the teacher of the year in the state of Illinois there. And she was explaining, uh, she was an elementary teacher, and she was explaining multiculturalism in terms of what she understood it to be. And we're talking about uh, ethical multiculturalism, by the way, not ethnic, and I'll explain that in a bit. But she was explaining, she was saying, you know, we teach our little third and fourth graders that the Aztecs, when they used to rip the hearts out of a young girl, uh, then eat the heart, we told them, well, that was just a cultural thing that happened. And so they'd, they'd explain it away as, well, that's okay ethically because, well, that's just what their culture did. And I had a colleague who said to me, asked the question, well, what about Hitler? You know, Hitler just did what he did because he did what he did, you know, because that's what he thought was good for society. And at that point, she stumbled and she stuttered and she wasn't able to answer the question because she realized how wrong it was to think that all cultures are just ethically equal. And we have it a lot in our society today, that if there's no transcendent or absolute truth or morality, then we tend to find our identity in our race or in our gender or in our ethnic group. But Christians, followers of Christ, can never equate truth with the limited perspective of any group. Truth is God's perspective is revealed in Scripture. So what is real, you see, is found in God's Word. So as followers of Christ, we can appreciate cultural diversity, but we insist, because God insists in His Word, that we judge certain cultural practices as morally right or wrong. I love cultural diversity. I love different foods from different cultures, and I love different dress, the way people dress and so on and so forth. But we're talking about ethical systems now. And so the book of Luke does this. It speaks about this very thing, and it emphasizes that Jew and Gentile alike are one in Jesus Christ. It's such a blessing to realize that no matter where you're from in all this world, that in Christ we are united in him if we trust him as Lord and Savior. So we also live in a world of what we call pragmatism. And since many today deny any of these transcendent moral standards or truth, they embrace the idea that whatever works is okay. Everything is kind of based upon utilitarian grounds. So the Gospel of Luke in Christianity, in contrast, judges not by works, but what ought to be, based upon objective standards. And so reality tells us that there is sin. And sin is punishable by death. But God, in his mercy and grace, took that punishment for us. And then we also live in a world that desires kind of a utopian society or a utopianism. That is, the idea that, that human nature is basically good. And, and if we can only create the right social and economic structures, we can usher in an age of harmony and prosperity. <laughs> How I wish that were true. But Luke gives us reality. And here's what he says. He says that no one is good. And unless we repent, Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 11, we will all likewise perish. And then in verse five, right after that, for good measure, he kind of says it again. So here's the point. We can create all the right social and economic structures in the world, but without repentance of our sin, and faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ, we will still perish. That is a sobering reality. 
but that is reality. So that's why I, I subtitled our study, The Story of Reality, because all the stories that we're going to learn about Jesus and, and his disciples, they are what is actually real. They are the way things are. So that's the first thing I want to do today. Now, secondly, I want to give you a, a brief overview of the book. So some backgrounds and some key themes so we kind of understand a little bit where we're heading in this study. The author is Luke, and you've probably figured that out because it's the Gospel of Luke. He's the author of the book, and he, he also wrote Acts as a companion book. So Luke and Acts actually kind of go together. And it's interesting to note that Luke wrote more words than Paul did in the New Testament. That seems odd, but he only wrote these two books, but their length are greater than Paul's works. Now, there, there's this argument about who, you know, whether Luke actually wrote uh, the book of Luke and all that stuff, and, and I don't know if it's that important for us, but just to let you know, there's a lot of external evidence that Luke wrote this book in church tradition, and then there's also internal evidence in what we call the we sections in Acts that Luke wrote Luke and Acts. In the, in the book of Acts, he talks about we, 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 including himself, Luke, in that book. And it's very clear that he wrote that. So we also know that Luke was a companion of Paul. He followed Paul around. He was a second-generation Christian. In other words, not an eyewitness of everything, but a second-generation Christian. And he was most likely a Gentile and not a Jew. So that's who the author is. The major theme of the book is this. Luke wrote to tell us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all, both Jew and Gentile. I don't know about you, but I love that. I, I, I expressed that earlier, but I love the idea that this gospel of Jesus Christ is for whoever. And it's our desire and really our command to go and tell the gospel to peoples of all nations. That's why we're interested whether they're here and right here in Tyler, Texas or wherever they are in the world. Because Jesus is the promised one of God as he's prophesied in the Old Testament and is attested to through God's saving activity in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension to the Father. So what Luke did was he emphasized that by believing in Christ, the Son of God, they would receive the promised Holy Spirit whom God gives to all who follow him. So that's kind of the major theme of the book. But I want to just briefly give you some other key themes that we're going to be looking at uh, throughout the book. And one of them is this, is we see in the book of Luke God's sovereign rule over history. You see, all the promises that God made through the prophets are now being fulfilled in the book of Luke. So all these prophecies from the Old Testament, all 300 and some of them that, that were in the Old Testament are now being fulfilled in the New Testament and many of them in the book of Luke. And then we, we're gonna learn about the arrival and the presence of the kingdom of God, that, that the kingdom of God is here now and the final full kingdom then is to come. And then there's a, a great theme about the coming and indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus and, and his followers. The Holy Spirit is present in this book, uh, from, from the birth of John uh, the Baptist, from the birth of Jesus, in the baptism of Jesus, the temptation, all of his early ministries, and all the way into his ascension. So we're going to see a lot about the Holy Spirit in his work. And then this, this theme, I love this theme, the great reversal, as a lot of theologians have called it, is, takes place in the book of Luke. So things like this. The first are becoming last. And, and the last are becoming first. It's things like you find your strength in weakness. 
You, you find victory in surrendering. Jesus put it this way. He said that whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so Luke places an emphasis then even upon on the poor. He puts, puts an emphasis upon tax collectors, outcasts, sinners, women, Samaritans, and, and Gentiles. All things in this time period that you just didn't mess with, but Jesus messes with that, so to speak. And then we find also one of the key themes is this, is that believers are to live a life of prayer and practice good stewardship with their possessions. You know, what's interesting is you read the book of Luke, you find that prayer is present at every major event and point in this book. It's crazy how you see it over and over again, how important the importance of prayer is in this book. And then the dangers of riches is often emphasized also in this book. Now, so many themes and so many great things to actually study. So that's kind of a, a, a brief introduction of, of what we're doing, of why it's called, why I, wanted, I entitled it, the reality, the idea of reality, and then why exactly uh, are some areas that we're going to be studying. Now, thirdly today, I want us to address the actual text that we looked at today. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of the time before we have the Lord's Supper. So I want us to look at this text. And I, in your bulletin, you'll see a big picture. Well, you won't actually see a big picture. You'll see a, two words that say big picture. And that is the big idea today. And the big idea today is this, that we can be certain that the gospel is true. Therefore, life has certainty for us and we must follow Jesus. So let's talk about now, very simply, why we can be certain about the gospel as we look at these first few verses of the book of Luke. So how was it that this one Luke called, he, he, in verse three, he calls this one he's writing to, the most excellent Theophilus, he calls him. How is he to be certain that these stories about Jesus were true? How was he uh, to have certainty in his life? Now, some people have argued that Theophilus, by the way, that word Theophilus, that word means friend of God, was, was, wasn't a real person, but some kind of imaginary kind of idea or person that Luke made up. But that doesn't seem to be so because he most likely was a, a Roman leader of some type, uh, perhaps a procurator or a governor of a Roman province. In fact, some people think he might have been the financier, uh, really, for Luke in the writing of the book. But whoever he was, he was obviously someone that was a follower of Christ or a, a new follower that needed encouragement as to the certainty of all that he had heard and seen in Christianity. So here's what I want to do. I want us to notice first that, that Luke showed his certainty, showing himself to be, first of all, when we see that Luke was a great historian. So we need to look at first at Luke, the historian. So as a historian... He, his, as, his, as a historian, his emphasis upon the care he took in writing his book is really evident when we start looking at this first passage we looked at and we read this morning. But notice, first of all, that he investigated and he followed all things closely for some time past, we read in verse 3. In other words, he investigated all available data from Mark, who had written an earlier uh, book concerning the life of Christ, from Paul, who he had spent a whole bunch of time with, and he also spent a lot of time with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so he learned all these things about the life and work of Jesus. 
Now, it doesn't mean that he, that he wrote down everything, but it does mean by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he wrote down the things that were unique to his gospel. And specifically, we find these many parables and stories not seen in other gospels. We're gonna go through and we're gonna see there's so many different parables and so many other stories that are only in the gospel of Luke. In fact, it is said that really this gospel is the most comprehensive of all the gospels. And there's no doubt that that Luke believed that as a competent and thorough historian, he was going to lead Theophilus and us to greater assurance of the truthfulness of the stories and work of Christ. He was writing to followers of Christ to encourage them of the certainty of what he had been written about Jesus, what had been written about Jesus in the Old Testament and being fulfilled as he walked this earth. He wanted really... Uh, as the couple on the road to Emmaus, if you remember the story of the couple on the road to Emmaus, they said this after they encountered Jesus, they said these words. They said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened the scripture? And that's what what Luke is after, is as this great historian for us to know what Jesus said and did so that our hearts would burn within us as we would see that the Old Testament that what, he, that what Jesus did was fulfilled in the Old Testament. And then secondly, notice it says that he did so from the beginning. Verse two says this. From the, in other words, from the beginning, meaning from the baptism of John the Baptist, he begins to write of this history of the gospel message. So we get a sense of the thoroughness in which he did this writing. All the way from, from the time of John the Baptist, the only really gospel that deals with John the Baptist. And then he did so carefully, it says, or closely. In verse three, you'll notice that word. He was careful, in other words, and he did his homework on things. He, he checked things. He, he tied things to the history of his day. You're gonna notice that as we go through this book that he mentions very specifically people who were in charge and, and where they were, very specific details. He's very careful in what he does. And more than one historian has noted this careful attention that Luke made to the events surrounding him in his day as he undertook to compile this narrative, as he calls it. And then fourthly, he did so in order to write an orderly account, it tells us in this passage, meaning Uh, It's a logical account. It it wasn't always chronological as we're gonna see, but very logical. In other words, he was very meticulous in his writing so that it flowed, that it made sense. He wanted to write so that it was connected, so it was a connected whole. And he accomplished that as we read this, we see this connection to the all of, of everything that Jesus did. So it was clear from how he wrote that he was a notable historian. So that's one reason that we can be certain about this gospel. But secondly, I want you to notice this, that he also had some servants who were eyewitnesses that he connected with, some servants who were eyewitnesses. In verse one, it says this, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, then he says these words, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. You see, Luke received his information, it says here, from eyewitnesses, from people who had been with Jesus and then also had participated with him in his ministry. And not only that, but, but they were servants of Christ or, or ministers as the ESV calls them. Perhaps they were one of the 12 disciples or maybe it was two or, or so of the 70 that were called to go from town to town that we're gonna be reading about. But whoever they were, they were actual eyewitnesses what they saw and what they did 
would have been admissible in a court of law if it had been necessary. So there is this certainty in Luke's writings because he received information from those who saw what Jesus did and accompanied him by serving with him. Now, by the way, and this is one of the major differences between Christianity and other religions, we are a people of history. And while other religions claim a certain sense of certitude, in other words, this is right of truth, they can't really back it up with history. Uh, one commentator that I was reading reminded me of, of Islam and Muhammad. Every Muslim believes that, that Muhammad was miraculously transported to Jerusalem and then from there to heaven. And that's why Muslims claim, of course, the Dome of the Rock and the temple grounds in Jerusalem as a holy site to them. Yet there's no historical evidence whatsoever that Muhammad ever went to Jerusalem in the first place. And that's just an example of, of how many other religions don't have a historical background, but we are people of history. And so as I mentioned earlier, Luke wrote in an orderly account. That is, he was specific as to the people who existed and the towns they lived in. And, and that could have been easily checked by people to see if he was telling the truth. In, in Luke 1 and verse 5, he says this, that in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division. And then in Acts chapter 3, we read this, that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar Augustus, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. And the point is, do you hear the specifics of the claims? This is, this is what he received from the eyewitnesses who served along Jesus. He was very specific because of these eyewitnesses and ministers. But we also see a prophetic fulfillment. So look at verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things, and then these words that have been accomplished among us. See, Luke tells us that others have undertaken to compile the narrative. There were others who wrote or a written historical record of things that have been accomplished. But what does he mean by what he says here that they have been accomplished among us? Well, this is a reference to all the things that have been accomplished or fulfilled by Jesus according to what the Old Testament had predicted would happen. In no other gospel will we see so many references and allusions to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ being fulfilled by the scriptures. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, I don't know if you remember these words, but it goes like this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is Jesus speaking. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And Luke here was showing the certainty of the life of Christ as he fulfilled the Old Testament scripture by his life, death, and burial and resurrection. So these, those questions perhaps that, that this Theophilus, Theophilus guy might have had, I mean, why did Jesus die? And did he, ever really, did he really rise from the dead? And, and why was he persecuted in this world if he was the, the son of God? All those answers by the prophecies that came to pass, just like the Old Testament predicted. 
and I don't have time, and, and I would probably bore you to death with all these, but there's all types of scriptures uh, that were fulfilled in Jesus, but a few are found in Luke chapter 3, and verses 4 through 6. That comes from Isaiah 40. If you look at Luke chapter 7, it comes from Isaiah 29, and it goes on and on and on, all of these references of this prophetic fulfillment of this. So we can be certain that this gospel is true, because of prophetic fulfillment. There are two last ways very quickly that I'll give you also that kind of show us that this is the certainty of this book. And the next one is just miraculous proof. Turn with me in your Bibles to, to Luke 7 and verses 18 through 23 because I want you to read this because I want you to see how the miracles help to prove the certainty of this book. In verse 18, The writer says this, Luke says, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, these miracles of Jesus proved the certainty of the gospel. And therefore, he, he, he did them to prove the truth of who he is and what he came to do, to reconcile man to God through his death, burial, and resurrection. Sometimes we think that there's all kinds of miracles in the Bible. You ever hear that? There's a miracle on every page? Not really. (laughs) If you start looking at the Bible, you realize that miracles occurred in very small periods of time, just a few times in the Bible, and they always had a purpose. And the purpose of these types of materials, miracles, excuse me, were in this case was to prove the truth of who Jesus is and the gospel that he proclaimed. So these miracles helped us to see and understand the certainty of this book. But then finally, we see this more too of this final idea really in the book of Acts, but simply this church expansion. In Acts chapter five, in verse 38, the writer says this, Luke says, so in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men And let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. And this is in reference to Christianity and to the gospel. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And so Jesus put it just like this in Matthew. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so what Luke has done, he's documented that the church will grow and will continue to do so. And here's the reality and the hope that we have is that nothing can stop God from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in and with his church. Absolutely nothing. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So we can be certain about Luke's gospel because the church continually expands. Do you know that there are more Christians now in the world percentage-wise than ever in the history of the world? And that's gonna continue on until Christ returns. But, what does that certainty, certainty mean for us? So let me close with just some brief ideas of what does it mean this morning to learn 
that this gospel is certain for us, that it's absolute true. And there are many things I could talk about, but I just want to say three things briefly, and this is this. First of all, we have absolute truth to be believed and communicated to others. What does certainty mean for us? We have this absolute truth to be believed and communicated to others. As we continue to study this gospel of Luke, we will see that Luke, what Luke was communicating to Theophilus, certainty, absolute truth. And because we know for certain the truth of what we will see about our Lord and Savior, we will have an assurance and really a kind of an emotional confidence even that what Luke writes is true. Paul wrote, he said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we communicate and trust this truth, we'll be able to confidently, or as we believe and trust this truth, we'll be able to conf be confident to communicate it to others. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the message this morning, this, this world is immersed in moral relativism, in pragmatism, in utopianism, in, in an ethical multiculturalism. But despite this, many are clamoring for absolute truth. Do you know that? Pete, despite all this, despite all those isms that are out there, many people are clamoring for absolute truth. When what we all need is communicated truth that only the word of God can deliver. And this is why Luke works so hard by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he says, to write what we call an orderly account. So here's what I encourage you. I encourage you, and literally I plead with you today to desire to share this gospel with those that you know. But secondly, we have a gospel to be obeyed and celebrated. So as we continue to look at this great gospel of Luke, we will desire more and more to celebrate the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Even this morning, we are able, because of the certainty of the truth of the gospel, in just a few minutes to celebrate the Lord's Supper to celebrate exactly what Christ has done for us. And then thirdly, we have a life full of joy. Because of the certainty of this gospel, we have a life to live full of joy. Knowing the certainty of the word of God brings us joy. Now, joy is knowing that God is in absolute control of all things. Despite what we see around us, despite all the negative things, the terrible things that actually are, joy is knowing that God is in absolute control. Joy, joy is always associated with the Holy Spirit. Knowing for certain that the things we have been taught from God's word are true, certain, brings the joy of the Lord to be literally saturated in our souls. So here's what I hope. I hope this study, the, this immersion into the gospel of Luke will bring joy to your soul. And all we've done this morning really is kind of introduce it, just all a bunch of introduction. And next week we get to actually get into the book in terms of the stories of the book. So that we, as we often say, will learn all these things about our Jesus, our Lord, and we will take it out of here. Gospel in and gospel out. Now, this morning we have an opportunity, as I mentioned, to celebrate with joy the certainty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Lord's Supper. So what I'd like for us to do in closing this morning is just to prepare our hearts and mind to receive the body and the blood of Christ Jesus this morning as it reminds us of his work for us 
and his grace towards us. So here's what I'd ask you to do this morning. And for just a couple minutes, will you bow your heads? Will you close your eyes? Will you pray? And will you ask the Lord, first of all, that he would bring to your heart and mind the knowledge of the certainty of this gospel in your life? And then secondly, will you just confess sin to him this morning and ask him to forgive you? And he said he is faithful and just to forgive us. Father, thank you for this word that's truth. Thank you that there is certainty in all that you have done for us. Father, this morning as we come and partake of the Lord's Supper, Father, will you please help us to celebrate with great joy what you have accomplished for us. And we will thank you and we will praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on Living Acts Church, please visit our website, www.livingactschurch.com, or you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Church.